Hello, and welcome to the Right Fight Podcast, where we discuss how to live a loving life. My name is Ted Slaughter, and I have the honor of sitting in again this week for our host, Reg Lloyd. Um, So Kenny, today we're talking about chapter 13, which is titled Little Blue House. You tell a really interesting story um, and kind of use it to paint a picture of how sometimes that unnoticed little blue house, um, sometimes that's a representation of, of others in our lives and sometimes even maybe a representation of how we feel. Um, can you talk to us about that story? Yeah, the, the little blue house came up with the house was across the street. And I'm, I'll share with that. I would say here just you know, at the end of this podcast, um, but I'd like to kind of set it up a little bit. And with my own experience, so I was what was going on in my life at this time was I had a couple of young children. I don't, I think Faith was probably eight, seven or eight years old, and Grace was a couple of years behind her. And then we had the, the little girl that lives across the street, Casey. They're all pretty much grown now, but but anyway, they were there, and they had been talking to me about something that was going on at school, and and I could and in their conversation, they weren't talking to me; they were talking to each other, and I was overhearing it but in that conversation i was i was hearing things that i'm like you know they're just children they don't understand but they're making they're 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 making some poor decisions um that i made and and you know now as an adult i'm looking back i'm thinking how can i help them see this you know i don't want to you know anyway but but my personal experience was this and i think this will kind of set the table for us is when I was young and I was coming up through school. So I would say through, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a tall guy now. That's an understatement, but, uh, but through about fifth grade into sixth grade, I was just, I don't know. I was, I was a pretty good athlete. I had a lot of friends. Um, you know, I, I just know if I went to eat lunch, someone would always save me a chair at the lunch table. Um, I just it, it, like, other people I was friendly I was nice whatever but I didn't I, there was a lot of people I didn't didn't consider but not intentionally didn't consider I was just good you know everything was fine and then you know around seventh grade I think it's around seventh to eighth grade most young boys hit a little growth spurt and then you know so all the boys hit a growth spurt I come back in eighth grade everybody's voices had changed and you know I'm I'm you know, half their, most of them size, I was already running behind. Well, now they ran off and left me. All right. So that's eighth grade. And then I go to ninth grade. By the time I get to 10th grade, I'm still like a short fifth grader and tiny. And I had, you know, I had, because I was popular with my whole group of friends and we're all still together, all still moving up through the years in school. Um, and and so in a lot of ways, I kind of let them, I would say, um, you know, we saw fight each other, you know, and I, I kind of took pride in thinking I could, I could take three of them at once, you know, I mean, that was kind of my mind. So, but I knew them all. We all knew each other. We would play baseball together, all these things. We knew all, we all knew each other really well. Um, so now I'm in 10th grade. I'm, and I'm so far behind. It's not doing them any good to hang around me. And so used to, when I would go to eat lunch, I come on lunch tray and there'd be three chairs left and everybody's like, you know, I, here, I saved this one for you. They want me to sit by them. Now, if there's three or four chairs left at the lunch table, they're all taken. And everybody's like, oh no, this one's taken. That one's taken. So I end up eating lunch by myself after a while. And I wasn't, I really wasn't mad at my friends because 
I knew them so well. I knew them so well that I knew, you know, it's like I knew it, I knew why they were doing what they were doing. I knew it wasn't helping them. I mean, it hurt my feelings, but, you know, that was okay. So then I so here's what happens. I started eating lunch by myself, and then after eating lunch by myself, I start realizing there's other people that are eating lunch by themselves, and they've been eating by lunch by themselves the whole time, all along. And I personally had never noticed them. Like I had never, I had never, it never occurred to me. And so I just thought one day, you know what? Instead of eating by myself, I'll eat with one of them. And so I started eating lunch with people I had never met before that were really kind of left out. And then I got to know them, and they were they were just awesome people. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. There's no reason for them to be. They, you know, maybe they 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 didn't fit whatever fit in supposed to mean wherever it was. And then I became really good friends with a bunch of people that I never really knew before. Then around 11th grade, I finally hit a growth spurt and I grow up and I'm also being, I'm having some success skiing and some of that had hit hit some of the media. And now all of a sudden my friends want me to, they're saving me chairs at the lunch table again, but I really don't want to eat at those chairs anymore. I don't want to sit there anymore. Not because I don't like my friends, but because I don't, I don't like why I'm going to go sit there. And I've got some other friends, too. Why don't we all come sit down and eat lunch together, you know? And so it was a really eye-opening experience for me. One, to realize that that I had unintentionally, I would say, um, ignored a lot of people. And, and, you know, when you get to that place where you're eating lunch by yourself all the time, nobody wants you to be around you, nobody wants to look at you. If somebody, if you're walking down the hall and somebody will just say hello or acknowledge you in any way, shape, form, or fashion, it kind of makes your day, you know. It's, it's a little pick-me-up, you know. And so coming out of that, um, I didn't want to eat lunch with the same people anymore. I wasn't mad at them, but I had a whole different perspective and, and a completely different view of the mistakes I had made and the truth of what was really going on. And just another example, there was, um, and this was such a valuable lesson to me before I get to the, to the little blue house. Um, there was one kid that was in our group from you know, like kindergarten all the way. And we get to 10th grade and he was kind of, I don't know. He just, he, he, he just kind of tagged along. All right. He was a good kid, but you know, he, he got a little bit of bullied, you know, a little different things. Well, he hit his growth spurt. So now we're 10th grade, and I still hadn't grown at all, and he's grown. He's like twice my size now. I, I never gave him a hard time, you know, before, but I was the target now. And we're, we're in the lunch line together, and I'm right next to him, and he decides it's a great opportunity to bully me because and, – and I knew why. It's like there's no one else he could do. It was, I, I was like there wasn't another opportunity. It was just me. So he starts picking on me picking on me about my height and mocking me a little bit and different things. And at this time I'm thinking, you know, I'm half his size, but I think I could still take him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, but, and, and I, and I'm sure whether I could or I couldn't, I'm, I'm almost certain that I could intimidate him into backing down and I'm about to do it. And it just, and I'm just, it, it just occurs to me, Ted, that it's like, you know what? Um, I can, but it's going to, the, the the shame or whatever the embarrassing him or whatever I'm about to do because I'm I'm in a different place now I would have done that I think before you know I really do I think I would have to for myself but I decided you know what it's okay I'm just gonna let him bully me and I did 
And um, I'm not I'm not advocating for letting someone bully you. And if he would have kept doing that, um, I would have uh, hopefully I'd have pulled him aside and said, "Hey, man, uh, we both know better than that. You know, don't do that. Whatever." But here's what here's what happened. Um, before the end of that school year, he died in a car wreck. Wow. Yeah, and um, I'm so grateful that um, that I considered him before myself. And had I not, I don't know, you know, how hard that would have been. Um, and so it's, so I learned some really valuable lessons there going through school about considering others before myself. And I, 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 there's so much I still didn't know at the time, but those things were sticking out to me. And I'm, and I'm now I'm learning God's Word, and now I'm seeing my kids, you know, young and making silly mistakes, and I'm trying to think, how do I, how do I help them see this? You know, instead of talking about everybody else, let's try to get a picture of what's really going on. Because if I can, I can tell them all I want to, and it's not going to change them. But if I can help them see the picture of what's really going on, maybe it'll, maybe it'll open their hearts up. Maybe it'll actually make them, make them want to consider. These are nice, sweet little girls. I mean, my daughter's a neighbor. I mean, they, they, are good little girls, but they're kind of starting to, do, you know, well, they're talking right now, they're going the wrong direction. We're, they're on the front porch when all this is happening, and an ambulance comes by. It's lights are flashing and going off and it goes like two doors down and it turns into the driveway and it goes back to the back. And it's a long little rock road and there's this little bitty blue house that's back in there, but you have to look for it because it's behind the trees and it's a pretty decent length driveway. But if you're looking, you'll see it. If you're not looking, you're not going to see it. And I had spent all, most of my life not looking. It wasn't that they, they weren't seeable. I just wasn't looking. I was just focused on me. I was preoccupied with me, so I, I never looked. So when the ambulance pulls in there, they're like, what's over there? And, and, and I said, the little blue house. Y'all know the little blue house, right? And no, so neither one of the three kids. Now, they're eight years old, so it's eight years it's been across the street from your house, and you've never seen it. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, that that was kind of what they were talking about. And it was what I was thinking about. And maybe I could use this as an illustration. And so I just asked them, I said, um, what do you mean you don't know it's over there? And they're like, what little blue house? I said, have you never seen it? And they said, no, we've never seen it. I'm like, how could you not see it? We drive by it every single day. And maybe, maybe it's because you're just not looking. You know, so I took him over there and we looked, you know, the person ended up being okay. But we took, I took him over there and, and we looked at the little blue house. And I'm like, and I'm like, can you believe you never saw this? And they're like, no, I can't believe we never saw it. I said, well, now that you see it, what do you think about it? And it's a tiny little house, you know, but it was well painted. It looked nice. And we think, we think it's, uh, we think it's pretty, dad. We like the little blue house. And so I say, well, what do you think the little blue house thought? when you drove by here every single day and you never even knew it was there, how do you think that would make the little blue house feel, you know? And, and they were like, well, it probably would make it feel sad. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, what do you, how do you think the little blue house would feel if next time we drive by here, you just smile and wave, you just acknowledge this area. Like, well, that would probably make the little blue house feel really good. I'm like, yeah, I think it would too. And then I took that and I said, now listen, y'all were talking about this earlier. And you're around people all the time, and I want you to be looking. I don't want you to be, and these are children, you know, so I'm being careful, but I'm, I don't want you to be so 
worried about how, what everyone else thinks of you and consumed with you in any way, shape, or form that you forget to look for the little blue houses. Because there's people all around you. They're at school. They're everywhere you go. And if you'll take the time to look, to be, and it, you have to be selfless to look, Ted. Like I do, for sure. Because I'm, I'm, I'm full-time preoccupied with me. I got plenty. You know what I mean? I got plenty. It's like, what am I going to do? How, how am I supposed to be worried about all these other people? Somebody needs to be worried about me. But I've learned, you know, I've learned the hard way and, the, and, and that if, if I would just take the time to be selfless enough to look, they're everywhere. And then whenever I'm willing to, to consider them, to acknowledge them, and to make sure they know I care, as simple or as complicated as that may be, and normally it's very simple, um, what I found was, and this is why, because what I'm trying to do is help my children live a full and fruitful life. That's my goal right here when I'm talking to them. You know, I, I care about all the other kids that they're going to encourage and all those things, but I don't have influence in their lives. I'm trying to help my children live a fruitful life. And I know that for my children to live a fruitful life, they're going to have to be willing to look. Because if they aren't willing to look, they're going to get weaved into a web that's a trap that's going to wreck their own lives. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to show them. And it was a great opportunity, you know, it just, that, that kind of unfolded. And that's why I shared it in the book, because we, a lot of times we are, um, we're just not willing to look or we're so preoccupied. It's not, not always mean-spirited. Spirited. We're just eating up with our own fears and our own concerns that we forget to look around. And, and, we don't, and then when we get down the road a little ways, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out why nothing's working. And then we, when, we, when nothing's working, we want to work on ourselves more, fix ourselves more, love ourselves more. And when I love myself, I'm focused on myself. That's whenever I'm not looking for the little blue houses and the people around me. It's selflessness. And, and, and when you do that, believe it or not, it's when you love the people around you that you get filled in that process and you get made whole. So my goal was I'm trying to help my t I'm trying to help my children see how to live a life that will leave them full, not empty, and will keep them full throughout the process. And so the little house, somehow the little blue house across the street, you know, played right into that for us. Kind of sounds like a parable and how Jesus liked to speak to us. You know, something that that kind of caught me as you were saying that, even about um you know, your, your friend that kind of ended up becoming a bully, would you say that sometimes, you know, while obviously, you know, in this example, the little blue house represents those that, um, you know, kind of the, the, the ones at the lunch table that are unseen and overlooked, but I would even maybe say, um, perhaps your friend that, that for whatever reason felt the need to start bullying, maybe he was a little blue house, in a way where obviously when, when we know that when people act out in that way and bully others and, and treat others with selfishness and unkindness, like there's always something that's unseen. There's always a heart matter. Most people aren't just, you know, mean to be mean. Um, there's obviously something that that's being compensated for. And perhaps uh, maybe we could, we could talk for a moment about uh, maybe there's somebody in your life that, um, the, maybe they're, they don't seem like the unseen one. Maybe they are popular. Maybe they have friends, they have it all going on, but there's obvious, obviously very clear 
um, self-destructive things that they're doing that perhaps it's because in a different way they're unseen as well. Yeah. Well, the, um, in his defense real quick, just say he didn't become a bully. He, he was bullying in that moment, but he never did that again. Um, and I was glad I let it go. And if he'd have kept on, I would have, I probably wouldn't have done it like I should have, you know, I would have probably done it some other way, but hopefully if I loved the guy, you know, I would have said, Hey man, why are you doing that? You know, that, you, you know, that's not right. Well, and maybe you know? that was a reason because you didn't retaliate. Maybe, maybe that was a reason because yeah, of maybe that so. love, loving decision. Maybe it helped maybe him so. not go down that path, you know? Yeah. But I would say that as far as bullies go, all bullies are the fearful attempting to lead by fear, just meaning they were bullied. Um, you know, so uh, you, you virtually or there's some form of fear in there that that um, keeps them in that place. So the, a bully is someone who who has somehow learned that that this aggression um, gets may get them what they want. And, and they've usually learned that because someone else's aggression they perceived that someone else's aggression got from them what that person wanted. So, so this person bullied me and bullied me and bullied me. They always seemed okay. I always seemed hurt. So I'm going to become what I hated. Right. I mean, there, this isn't the conscious thought, sure. but this is what happens. And so then, so it's, it's the hurt person hurting people. That's what the bully is, is, is they're, they're just becoming what they despised in order to try to keep other people from hurting them and they don't and it's the opposite of what love is because they don't understand that in that process they're wrecking their own lives you know that they're that they're killing all their relationships and that they're that they're um sowing seeds in themselves that they're gonna have to dig up at some point you know that are gonna lead to shame and all these other things so um so yeah bullies are fear-led people that um but yeah but the answer to bullies is loving them too you know um, and loving them means it's not okay for them to be a bully. I just, since you brought that up and I wasn't planning on bringing this up, but there's just another great example. There's, there was a kid in my neighborhood. There, there was a, it was truly, I would say he was a, a bully on a more <laughs> consistent basis. Everybody was afraid of him. And my dad was friends with his dad. And then, well, actually my dad became friends with his stepdad and, um, and I didn't know him. I was just afraid of him and everybody else was. And then here's what happens. Uh, my dad's a shrimper at the time. And so his dad wants to go shrimping with us. And if you've ever been shrimping, that's a miserable uh, experience. <laughs> but for the most, unless you're just an old salty and you like sneaky stuff. But man, the shrimp net comes up, they bust the pocket. Everything's alive and flipping everywhere. So all of the slime, all of the blood, all of the everything is slung all over you, and you're getting showered in it. You're picking through it. It's stinking. It's and then you're moving slowly in the shrimp boat, rocking and rolling the whole time, and it's it's a pretty miserable experience. So that's bad enough on its own. But when my dad's going to bring his buddy with him, then I find out he's bringing his buddy's son, and his buddy's son is is the bully, and I'm scared to death. Oh my right and, and i'm like dad i don't want him to come you know like like i don't know what i'm thinking like i think he's gonna you know hurt me on the boat or something in front of my dad it wouldn't happen but here's what ends up happening the kid ends up getting seasick and so he's on the bow of the boat all day long crying while i'm working and shrimping and and i'm bringing him uh i want to bring him some sardines and a bread sandwich see if you want to have a little lunch you know <laughs> no, i'm kidding 
He'd have really been sick, right? But no, but I'm bringing him some more. I'm bringing him water and other things. But anyway, this is my point. By the end of the trip, I wasn't afraid of him anymore. And and he lost his ability to bully me, you know, because he was sick all day long crying on the front of the boat, and I was trying to take care of him. And and so what I'm, I guess what I'm just trying to say with that is um, that was a good picture of me for what, what bullies really are. And we can't always go take care of them. Sometimes they're just going to keep fighting sure. us. Sometimes we got to just leave them along. But, um, but the bully's the symptom, not the problem. Yeah. And it definitely still ties back into the concept of the little blue house in the sense that, um, you know, you, you have to look, you have to be selfless. You have to learn to be selfless enough to take the time to look because had you just looked at his actions, um, and, and obviously the way that he made you feel, had you formed your belief about who he was and really his, his value, you know, had you formed that opinion based off of just your experience with him versus learning and really just kind of leaning in to look past that shell and see, you know, he, at the end of the day in real life, he was just another person that, that needed somebody to love them and care for them in a moment. And, you know, that experience was able to, I mean, who knows the impact that that might've had on him. Um, and kind of just to tie that into a later part in the chapter, you mentioned, you, you quote a pastor friend of yours, and you say, we think what we think, and we do what we do because we believe what we believe. And I would say that that his actions certainly reflected that in the sense that perhaps his own, you know, his own sense of value, his own sense of, of why he did what he did was because of something that he obviously thought about himself or about his worth. Um, as we kind of begin to close this out, do you th- can we talk kind of about that concept about how, you know, when we learn to value others, it also begins to instruct us on how, um, how we value ourselves. And when I first read that, you know, one of the first, um, thoughts I had was about the concept of, of self-love that we've talked about, um, in previous episodes and, and just kind of as a theme throughout the book, just that, you know, the danger of self-love, how it's really just selfishness in disguise. Um, but obviously there's a, there's a stark difference here in what you're saying. Um, the difference of learning to value yourself, um, and how that's different than self-love. Can you, can we talk about that for a moment? Okay. So, I'm trying to figure out is is it is, should I be saying value yourself? I think what we have to understand is that we're all valuable, and that includes me. I mean, we are God's creation. We're made in His image. I mean, we're you're so valuable to Him that He went to the cross for your sin. So we were worth it, even though we weren't worthy. All right, so. So, but the but the but the trap I had fallen into in my own life, and I talk about it a little bit in this chapter. And I appreciate you bringing this up. Was that, um, but but that that the measuring stick that I use to judge other people, and by judging other people, I mean value other people. This person is more valuable than that person. That's how that's how I had had lived at this point. All right. So base and so I valued some people more than I did other people. I valued the president of the United States more than I did uh, the guy on the street corner with a bag in his hand. And by valuing them, I mean like there's some people that if they'd have come to me to talk to me, 
I would have brought a pen and paper and note and, and listen to every word they said, take notes, all these different things. But then there was other people that if they were to talk to me, I might not have even listened. And, and so then I asked myself, well, why do I do that? You know, what, what's, what's, what's going on here? And it's because I value one person more than I value the other. Well, how do I value them differently? And we all have our own ways and means of doing this, but essentially what we're doing is we have these hurdles that you must clear, you know, that, that like, if you don't take care of, if you're not clean, clean, um, if you're, if you're, if you don't have a good job, if you don't make a certain amount of money, if you don't drive a certain car, if you don't live in a certain kind of house, you know, whatever it is. And they're, they're like these hurdles that we set up that make you more and more and more valuable. And then the trap that comes from that is whatever hurdle I set up that makes someone's life valuable enough whatever that is, okay, which none of this exists, by the way. It only exists, this is a myth, okay? But whatever it is that makes that person's life valuable enough for me to give them my attention, for me to give them uh, my respect, my whatever whatever it is that I'm going to give them, wherever that hurdle is, for me to do that for them, there's a higher hurdle for me to believe that I am personally valuable than the one I give to them. So, or I set up for them. So in other words, if this person in my mind is worthless because they made this mistake or they didn't clear this hurdle, when I fail to clear the same hurdle, I'm going to be far more worthless in my own mind and in my own eyes. So I set these hurdles up for other people, never realizing that I'm building a trap for myself that I can never attain. And, and so then I spend my whole life trying to clear these hurdles so that I have value when in reality, clearing the hurdles adds no value to me whatsoever. I don't have value because of what I do or what I don't do. God doesn't love me because of what I do or what I don't do. So I'm wasting all my time trying to accomplish something that in the end will not at all achieve what I'm hoping it will achieve. This leaves me more and more empty. This is why people that have all these hurdles and they clear the, the highest one, they have everything that they think makes them everything, and, they, and they're left with absolutely nothing because it was all for nothing. There's no value in any of that. So what's the answer, right? So it's like, okay, well, okay, what do you do? Well, the answer is you're valuable. The guy on the street corner is valuable. President of the United States is valuable. Everyone has value. Not because of what they do or because of they, what they don't do, because God created them and God loves them. And then whenever we learn to love people because of that, then we find ourselves when the guy on the street corner is talking, like, I want to get a pen, pen and paper. I, I mean, almost more than the president. You know, and I shouldn't, right? But but I'm just saying. So I, I, I we need to respect the office president. We need to respect. You know, I, I get all of that. But if I deep down value some people of any any people more than I value other people, there's something wrong in me. And that thing that is wrong in me is is going to be a deep seated root that I need to dig up because if I don't it's going to it's going to slowly wreck my life it's going to keep me from loving the people around me it's going to keep it's going to have me setting these hurdles up for my children and the people around me that you attain this and you're and you're more valuable and so and so you say okay back to the grace thing okay so we shouldn't try to clear any hurdle because we're all just valuable might as well just go sit down and do nothing well no I'm not, this is not to let anybody off the hook. This is to put you on it. Yeah. You know, this is because your value, your purpose is not about you. 
It's about what God can do through you to change others. It's about God's love flowing through you to others. There's no higher hurdle. Like there's, 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 you know, love is the highest bar there is. And so we fight to live a loving life, not so we can be filled. We, we really do it for God and for others. We deny ourselves. We lay down our lives. This is why Jesus told us, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lay it down for his sake, you find it. And so, so what happens is you get, you know, I had to teach my children and I'm still trying to learn because I still got uh, hurdles I need to kick over and tear down that um, God doesn't love us because of what we do or because of what we don't do, but because of who he is. Like he loves us and there's nothing you can do about it. But what you can do is love him. And that's when your life changes. So I, I heard somebody say, and I feel like this might be a good way to close out the show today, but I heard somebody say that all of creation, all people in the world have a Genesis 1 value and a John 3.16 value. So every single person was created in the image of God, um, and then every person was also created uh, where, where God himself would find that people are value, valuable enough to him that he would lay down his own life. Again, not because of anything that we've done, nothing we can do. Um, but simply because of who he is and, and the value that he places on us. And so, you know, I think the kind of the moral of the story here is the way that we value others and even the way that we value ourselves. It can't be, it can't be our own system. It can't be something through our own eyes. It must be, we have to learn really to achieve living a loving life and, and, and fighting the right fight. Um, the goal is that we learn to see all people, including ourselves, through God's eyes. Because if we can learn to value people through his system, that's when we begin uh, to enter into that pathway of our, our heart becoming love and the way we treat people becoming love. Yeah. So very simply stated, you know, you have to know Jesus and you have to know the love he has for you. And when you come to understand the love, the real love he has for you, who he really is, it's going to wreck you. It's, it's going to blow your mind. It's undeserved. It's, 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 it's love. It's, it's, it's everything pure. And then from that, you're going to desire to love as he loved you. And the last thing on your mind is going to be you. You're loved already. You know, you're going to be the last thing on your mind. You're everything that's going to permeate you. And we don't live this perfectly. I, I'm on my mind all the time, but it's not my desire anymore. I don't want to be on my mind anymore. I want what he did in me and the love he has for me to be. I just want to be a conduit of that love to other people. And then you find that when you're a conduit and his love flows through you, you truly get filled. So, you know, when you, when you, when you're, you need to clear the, the hurdle of love, which we never fully clear, but even in attempting to, instead of clearing all your hurdles and being left empty, you're filled the whole way and you just get fuller and more, more and more full. There's no emptiness there. There's like nothing empty. It's all full. And so if everything's empty and nothing's full, you know, you're in the wrong fight and you need Jesus and, and, we, and it starts with surrendering to him. So there you have it. That's the key. So if we want to become love, we have to learn 
to receive the love of Jesus for the value that he places on our life, which has nothing to do with us. Um, And then from there, that love begins to transform us. Well, that wraps up an incredible, challenging episode, um, but obviously a a potentially life-changing episode for all of us. And until next time, trust God's word no matter what. Keep your eyes on the horizon. See you next time. Thanks for listening to The Right Fight Podcast. Make sure to check out Kenny's book, The Right Fight, for more on how to live a loving life. It's available on their website, shieldsofstrength.com, Audible, and all digital platforms. If you have any questions for the podcast, you can email support at shieldsofstrength.com and put podcast as the subject. And make sure to follow Kenny on Instagram and TikTok at John Kennedy Vaughn. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.